0: Welcome everybody to a Friday edition of Texans All Access from the Texans Radio Studio. Joining me to kick off the show, and I'm John Harris, your host, D.P. Sitter. D.P., how are you doing? It's good to have you in.
1: I'm fantastic, Johnny. We're just a couple days away from leaving from Indianapolis. Which, this came around super fast this time of year, I think. With uh, the Pro Bowl, and then you were at the team Bowl. That's true. That's right. Yeah. We, we took an, a few extra trips this year, so I'm, uh, I'm really looking forward to it next week. Especially I mean, having a first round pick is a lot of fun. I it forgot. Is. I forgot how fun that is.
0: We have three picks before we would have made a pick last year because we've got 50, uh, we got 23, and then we've got 54 and 55, I believe. I can't remember if they're back to back or they're two in between, but either way, the Texans have three picks in the top 60, and last year they didn't pick till 68. Now, ended up getting pick number 68 right with Justin Reed. Not only right, they hit that one out of the park. You get a third-rounder like that, which I find ironic because there have been so much talk leading into the draft about the failure of the third-round picks prior to... And then all of a sudden, Justin Reed, Martinez Rankin, and Jordan Akins become contributors, and Reed becomes one of the better young safeties in the league.
1: Yeah, it's shocking because you expect your first and second rounders to be individual, to be as starters by the end of the first season. But Justin Reed, the fact that he was still on the board in the third round and so many oh. teams passed on him, I mean, that's a huge get for the Texans, obviously. I can't wait to see what happens next year with him. But now, seeing the success that Brian Gain had in his first year as GM, I'm really looking forward to seeing how free agency shakes out, yep. how this first and second round shakes out because I think the needs are pretty much set. Everyone knows what we need. Right. There are really going to be no surprises, I think, as far as position early on.
0: Yeah, I'm I with you. I, the thing to me, as we've talked about throughout and, and will continue to as we get through April, is in what order? And I think some of that order kind of has to do with how your board is set and the player, you know, is there a run on the tackles? Well, if there's a run on the tackles, then maybe there's not a run in the corners. Maybe some of the corners are falling into your lap at 23. Maybe there is a run on the quarterbacks, which pushes both the tackles and corners down to you. And I'm assuming those are the positions you would go. And then what are you able to do in the first round? So are you able to nab a tackle in the first round? So does that open you up in the second round and start looking at some corners? Or do you want to package those two second round picks, maybe move up in the second round and get a, a, a better corner? Uh, who knows? So I think there are a lot of options available to you because you do have some ammunition this year, as opposed to waiting all the way until the third round to make a pick. Now, we know exactly why we had to wait for picks last year. Totally okay with that. because Yeah, not
1: going to complain about why we didn't right. have the first or second round exactly. draft picks.
0: Exactly, yeah. Don't but, worry about that. But, it
1: is, but, you know, I wonder if in free agency they tried to fortify the roster a little bit more by re-signing either some of our guys or going out and getting a free agent so that mm-hmm. if that situation happens at the draft where, you know, there is a run on tackles and you have to look to another position, at least you feel like, all right, we've 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 bolstered a little bit. We've got some more depth through free agency or bringing back some of our own guys.
0: Yeah. I, it's-
1: then you Then you can really rely on the board and say, okay, best available. Right. You're not really strapped for, okay, I have to draft right. this position right away.
0: I would think, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, I think at least one of the two positions, and I'm going to say this word, and I know people are going to freak out when they say it, but I'll explain what I mean. I think at one of the two positions, they'll overpay for a free agent. And here's what I mean, overpay. I know oh, that sounds like a bad word, but what I'm saying is, I think they'll probably pay a little bit more than what that player's value might be to make sure that they solidify one of the two positions with a free agent coming from a different team. Uh, Maybe, let's take, for instance, tackle. Maybe Trent Brown with the New England Patriots who had a tremendous year. We saw him in week one, and I just thought going to the Patriots, like, boy, he's going to struggle. And he was fantastic. He was really good with the Niners. He's been really good with the Patriots. I don't know that the Patriots are going to have the money to keep him. I don't know, but maybe you have to overpay a little bit for Trent Brown to make sure that you lock him up, like you get him locked up. Then you're like, okay, I think Trent can play our left tackle spot, bring back Sean Trell. Okay, maybe – Corner then becomes a little bit uh, more interesting position. I sat down yesterday during the breaks of our meeting and I was, I literally went through and I made a 53 man roster. I know Already? That sounds, I, yeah, I know. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. And I went through that. I went through and I was, I with just. Our,
1: with our new Leaf signed free agents in there too?
0: Well, I put them in as FA. I just okay. FA. But what I did was, is I went through and I did my 53 man roster with the guys that I think will re sign. Mm hmm. And then I put in the guy, uh, th- okay, these are spots where I think we'll sign free agents. And then these are the spots I think we'll end up drafting rookies. Now, I didn't put a round on the rookies. But as I stepped back and I looked at it, I went, yeah, this is probably about what I think. And at that point, I had I had basically two free agent signings o- outside the team. Like two kind of name free agents, if you will. And once you get to the free agent realm... Maybe there are some names, especially because we're looking at offensive line names, that not a lot of people are going to end up knowing. Right. But say you sign Trent Brown as your offensive tackle, and then you're able to find uh, you know, a corner, a young corner. I don't know. Let's take, for example, Pierre Desir for the Colts. I don't know if that'll happen, but play pretty well for the Colts. But maybe those are the two free agents from outside the building that you end up signing and bringing to your team. You also got to handle some of the re-signing. Obviously, we've talked about Jadeveon Clown, You talked about Tyron Matthew, but. There are other players on this roster that are going to be really interesting to me about bringing them back. The defensive line in particular. It's funny, DP. When I was looking at, uh, there's a mock draft, a two-round mock draft I saw the other day, and they had us taking a defensive lineman in the, sec- the second pick of the second round. And I thought about mm. it and I went, what? This mock is dumb. And then I went, wait a second. Brandon Dunn's a free agent. Christy Covington's a free agent. Angelo Blackson's a free agent. Like, wait a second. Maybe they're maybe they're onto something. Now that would be a little bit of a shock if we did it early, but those are the type of players that we're probably not thinking too much about. We're thinking about Devion. We're thinking about Tyron. We're but thinking our, about Kareem. But, but guys, those guys are hugely important?
1: Aren't yeah? I was going to say those guys add a lot of depth, and you know the price tag won't be so high. Like right, Angelo right. Blackson, he you was know, tremendous. He last did year. some great stuff last really year. Really
0: good stuff. Yeah.
1: And then same thing with, you know, Dunny. I know they really like Brandon Dunn. Christian Covington's been here since he was drafted, so he knows the system. He knows the defense. Mm -hmm. They know exactly what they get in him. I think sometimes the free agents, it's a mixed bag.
0: Right, exactly. They
1: may look great on film, but then, you know, I don't know how they're going to fit in with other teammates, other players. As we can see, the culture of locker rooms in the NFL is vastly different. And now that – Bill O'Brien and his staff's been here for a number of years. We kind of get what the sense of the locker room is. Yep. You and I can both sort of tell when a is speaking at the podium at a press conference. Right, right. You know, uh, you know, at the Combine, for instance, like, oh, this is one of our guys. Right. I remember Leonard Fournette a few years ago when he was talking about <laughs> yeah. entering the NFL. I, I, I looked at you and I said, this does not sound like something one of our players would say. Exactly. Like, I think yep. the question was... And not to not anything against Leonard Fournette, you know he's very talented, obviously. But I, you know, I just think that sometimes guys fit and fit in some locker rooms and with coaching staffs, and other guys just don't. But someone asked him who was a player that he looked up to um, watching football, and he said, "Well, I, I never really watched football." Right.
0: I remember that. You I never I really watched. Yeah. I never really
1: watched football, so I don't really say there's anybody. And I thought I can't even imagine a single guy in our locker room not just loving football. Right even if they're not on the active roster, even if they're a practice squad guy, right. they all have that in common, that, that passion, that drive for football, and that seems to be really important to this coaching staff.
0: You're you're exactly right, and I remember when Leonard said that, and I was like, hmm. well, I mean, I didn't think he was going to get to the Texans as it was, and I didn't think they were going to draft the running back because they were just, they had, uh, they had snatched up Lamar Miller, and they, and they were going – that would have been going into no, Lamar's La- second year. So Oh,
1: it was his second year. It would have
0: been That's his true. second year. So he didn't it, only been here a year. So running back was not – and he wasn't going to get to us in the draft anyways. But, man, that makes me think. Can you imagine if Jacksonville had taken Deshaun Watson at number four?
1: Well, oh. I mean, even I last year they could have taken Lamar Jackson. How much did we hold our breath oh. when uh, all the quarterbacks – Oh, I've
0: told you this story. You're sitting right in the seat that I was sitting in. So Mark's sitting here, and, and Andre was here. And so it's the three of I us was, doing a I draft was, show.
1: I was in the corner because yeah. I was typing up stories. Yeah. Yes.
0: So we're, we're, we're sitting in here, and you saw us. And so Dre at one point like looked at me and like slid his phone over. He had been texting Lamar during the draft because he had gotten pretty close with Lamar with the whole Heisman Trophy. They would gotten to know each other. And he was the only media person that had any sort of interview with Lamar. He was the only guy. Oh, wow. The only one that his mom trusted. And that was it. And so – they were texting back and forth and it came up to Jacksonville. The three of us, when they said Taven Brian, the three of us like jumped out, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. I was because I knew that where he wasn't going to get to the second round of Jacksonville, and so I was like, anything to keep Lamar Jackson out. Now, there's a thought with Jacksonville number seven would take Kylie Murray. But again, to your point, when you heard that from Leonard Fournette, you thought there's no way that guy's going to be a Texan. I look at Kyler Murray, knowing what's there, and Doug Marone and Tom Coughlin, and I'm like, there's no way they're drafting Kyler Murray. He's just not a Jaguars kind of guy. I mean, it just doesn't seem like he would fit. But yet, Kyler Murray going to Jacksonville... Would give Duval County something they've
1: never seen. Right, right. Never. Now,
0: they've had Mark Brunel, and that was really, that was fun times. I lived there, that was fun times when Mark was playing quarterback there. Kyler Murray in Jacksonville with Fournette and giving him another receiver, oh my God. But to your point, I don't think he's a Jaguars kind of guy. Just like Fournette was not a Texans kind of guy. And there'll be guys when you step up, and I remember listening to Sean's press conference. Mm -hmm. I didn't think there was any way we could draft Deshaun, but I remember thinking, that's our kind of guy. That's just the way he answers it, the poise, the calm that strikes me as our kind of guy. Well, you
1: know, it's funny because I listened to Deshaun's press conference at the Combine, too, just because there was so much buzz surrounding him in the national championship. I thought the same thing. Uh, But I didn't really pay too much attention, you know, other than just out of my own interest because I thought, there's no way he's going to be around by the time the Texans draft. So, I was paying a little bit more attention to Patrick Mahomes. It seemed like there was some rumblings about him, right? But I remember you saying, I don't know if he's, you know, he sort of colors outside the lines.
0: I mean, he was just from a play standpoint, from a
1: play standpoint, yeah. but then I thought, I mean, Deshaun Watson also. Like, I just yeah. both of them to me seemed sort of like that they're they're not going to be around. I love both
0: of them. I love both of them. What just, a fun,
1: what a fun year that was. I
0: I I love both of them. I just wanted to make sure that we got one of them. I just didn't think at twenty five there was any possibility of getting one. But then when the Chiefs went up and got Mahomes, I'm like, well, if we're going to get one, and then of course we go up and get uh, get number four. That was pretty fun. We're going to the combine uh, on Tuesday. Looking forward to that. Now, for you, it's a little extra special because you get to see – I get to see my little, family. You get to see your family a little mm-hmm. bit. But is there something you look forward to most with the Combine more than anything else? I mean, obviously outside of senior family, but is there one thing that you look forward to at the Combine more than anything else?
1: I, I really enjoy talking to the national media and seeing what they think about the Texans, about, us, yeah. about the AFC South. I do, a, I do a segment every year where, you know, what are they saying about us? And I'll ask them a number of questions. Last year, the big question was – you know, what is this defense going to look like with Watt and Clowney healthy on the field? Yeah. Uh, where will the Texans finish? Who's the best quarterback in the AFC South? I think the questions will be a little bit different this year. Obviously, last year I asked, do you think the AFC South is one of the best divisions in the NFL? It was too early for people to sort of commit to that. Yeah.
0: I wonder how I much. I did. I committed right to it. But I dove right in.
1: I think we're in the thick <laughs> of it. We're in the thick of it. So people on a national level, I mean, they just get just the very, you know, the fringes of our yeah. storylines. They don't really get the trip, But now, with Deshaun, you know, back healthy, with J.J. back healthy, I think yeah. that pushes us back up in the national spotlight. But, you know, I think that's one of my favorites. I love uh, hearing – seeing these players for the first time and listening yeah. to their press conferences. I think not having a first-round pick was sort of a bummer last year because I thought most of these guys that are talking, I have, you know, I have no idea yeah. when the Texans draft in the third round. Is that guy even here? Is he yeah. speaking at a podium? Is he sort of one of these guys – the guy – the big guys are at the podiums and then there's guys that come to it like a round table format. And so, you know, you talk to those guys. But this year I, I'm I, I like it because if even if the Texans don't draft any of those guys, they're gonna end up in our division. So like Leonard yeah. Fournette or you know, even Baker Mayfield, I got to hear him speak and we we played him. Yep. You know, he started a game yeah. uh, against the, the Texans. I, I like to be able to have a frame of reference. Yeah. Teddy Bridgewater, yeah. you know, he spoke. And I remember that was your way the first round draft pick. So that was – or the number one overall pick. That was a lot of fun because it seemed like any of these guys could yeah, be absolutely. our guy. And yeah. then you sort of follow their – their path and I remember the night before the draft thinking we have followed these guys we've studied these guys where are they going to end up like what is their career going to be like and who's going to be right and who's going to be wrong about them so yeah. I think that's always exciting to see you know where these guys who are projected so highly where they end up
0: well I think one of the things for me is and last year was a lot easier because I knew any of the names we were talking about especially on Thursday night were com- were coming to us but I look at it as all the studying I've done of all these players and now they're going somewhere else but then there's one that's gonna end up with here. us. Yes. Which is gonna be really cool. And and like I go back and I've done this with I've done this with Whitney. I've I've actually read Whitney, my draft analysis of him. I wanna I wanna do that. I wanna I wanna bring the guys in here at some point. You should and read them my draft analysis uh, hey, this is what I said about you. How close was I? So I went back and I looked at what I wrote about Deshaun. I got pretty darn close. Pretty I mean, Really, really close. And I wrote a number of different things that year um, because I would have had to. I wrote something different for the Washington Post as I would for for us in some sense. But I wrote some. The stuff I wrote about Patrick Mahomes is so dead on. I I mean, it's so dead on. And now it's like we got to see him. And we're going to see him this year in twenty nineteen. We're going to see him and this year. Hopefully, we'll see him again in the playoffs at some point, which would be kind of nice. What,
1: what about Justin Reed? What was your take on Justin Reed? Did was he? Did you write I something had him, about
0: him? I had him at number forty five in my Harris one hundred. Really? Yeah. So when he got drafted, I went back and I was like, "Where do I have him?" My and I was like, "I can have him at 45. So like, you know, second I felt rounder. like a, yeah. you know, I had him. I had him as a you know kind of second round or maybe early third, but he just you know fell to us in the third round, which ended up being really cool. Which going back to your point, if If you would have known at last year's combine, I mean, you would have spent an hour with Justin Reed. You would have because he's so awesome to talk to. Right. He would have been so much fun to have a few minutes with at the podium last year because, you know, before, you know, he comes here and he's a rookie and he's probably a little bit more reserved than he's going to be. I mean, the combine, he's kind of letting it flow. And I remember we talked to him when he got drafted and he was just, I mean, he was a bundle of joy. (laughs) I mean, it was absolutely fantastic. He's
1: always been a great. A great personality to talk to. I mean, I think the he's one of the media darlings because, you know, even as a rookie, he's just got so much confidence, yeah. so much poise. I wonder how much of that is his personality, how much is just watching his older brother go through it. Yeah. But uh, I, I'll never forget his um his uh, his conference call to us the, as soon as he was drafted. Uh-huh. He talked about – we asked him about Tyron Matthew and what yeah. that's going to be like playing alongside him. And he said, Tyron and his brother played – Against each other? No,
0: with each other. With LSU. each other, LSU. That's yeah, right. And, each so, other, yeah. and
1: so now they get to, he gets to play with Tyron at, yeah. in the NFL. I thought that was cool.
0: Yeah, he's. And he wears one hell of an elf hat. <laughs> that he does. Go check out KJAC TV. KJAC TV. TV. Appreciate it. Thanks, Johnny. Speaking of the combine, I'm going to give you the things I'm looking forward to and the biggest stories that will happen in Indy next week right here on Texans All Access. Welcome back to a Friday edition of Texans All Access from the Monday Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris, football analyst, Cylon reporter. And the originator of the Harris 100. You definitely want to check that out as I rank the top 100 draft prospects. Not as it relates to the Texans. If it did, there would be positions I don't even consider. This is just the prospects in the draft. So keep that in mind. I did not sit down with Brian game Bill O'Brien, any of the scouts, Any of the guys that I know pretty well and go through it, this is all my assessment of where these guys end up. So you can go check that out. And, yeah, some of that will change as it pertains to the combine, but hopefully not too, too much. Over the years, there's always been a guy or two that are just like, whoa, that combine was just dreadful. Last year, everybody remembers, Zeus Brown from Oklahoma ended up starting, I think, 10 games for the Ravens. So that combine ended up not meaning a whole lot. And what it ended up doing was it pushed Zeus Brown down into the third round where he was drafted by his dad's team, the Baltimore Ravens, which is a very cool story. And by the way, if you want to see a really cool video, go check out NFL Films Presents on Zeus Brown. It talks about his dad, the process of getting to Baltimore, being in Baltimore, wearing uh, you know, the, the Ravens colors. I was so happy for him. And look, the the combine was not an indication of what that guy can do on a football field. And it's not perfect. He did have struggles in the playoff game against the L.A. Chargers. But Zeus Brown's going to be a really good player. And he had arguably one of the worst combines for a big-name player that you could possibly have. And it's funny because I think about going to the combine last year, and I and I have on my computer. I just load up my computer with a bunch of games and stuff so I can watch on the way to the combine, at the combine. You know, when things slow down at night, we've gone out to eat, come back home. I don't really want to turn on TV, see what's on. I flip on a game usually. So, I have all those on my computer, and so on the the flight to to India last year was really 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 bumpy, and I just was like ah, man, I don't like to fly anyways and so turbulence does not make me happy so I pulled out my computer and I was like ah, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna watch and so my thought at the time was I was gonna watch Zeus Brown thinking hey the Texans are probably gonna look at tackle in the draft uh, third round is maybe I don't know maybe there's not a chance to get uh there, there's not a chance to get Zeus Brown it turned out that there was, but the Texans I think Think between Justin Reed and drafting Martinez Rankin, I don't believe. I think Zeus Brown ended up being drafted. Either way, the Texans did have a chance, but they went with Justin Reed anyways. So Zeus goes to Baltimore. So I was actually on the plane watching Brown, and I'm watching Oklahoma. And so this guy sitting next to me, we're on the last row. I'm on the window. He's on the aisle. He's watching me. He's watching, and I can kind of tell he's looking, but you know, he's not intrusive. He's just looking, and I got to you know, decent sized computer, so you can see it from all the way on the other aisle, I guess. So he doesn't say anything to me, but I'm watching the Oklahoma Rose Bowl against Georgia. Baker Mayfield had a really good game. And so I'm watching the game and the guy finally, like literally as we're about to land, he looks at me and he goes, Why are you watching? And I pointed at at Zeus Brown. I just pointed at seventy eight and he goes, Oh, okay, good. And then he pointed at my computer and he goes, I don't like him. And he pointed right at Mayfield. I'm like, oh, okay. And the guy goes, I'm a huge Cleveland Browns fan. I don't want him. I hope we don't draft him. And I thought about that. It's like, you know, as we head to the combine and the different storylines, and I thought about that happening before we, even got t- before we even touched down in Indianapolis, that Browns fan saying, yeah, I don't want him. I don't want him. I wonder how that guy feels now. Because that guy, Baker Mayfield's given the Browns not only a shot in the arm, but he's given them a chance to do something the Browns haven't done in a long, long time. And that's win and win consistently. So I always think about that. But but Zeus Brown, I was watching. This guy's watching Mayfield saying, I don't want him. I, just, I asked him, I said, well, you know, I didn't get into it. I was like, you don't want him? He goes, no. And I didn't go, like, why? and it's like, okay, I just left it. But that's one of the fun things. We had a chance to see Baker Mayfield last year. This year it's going to be Kyler Murray. Kyler's going to be one of the big storylines. There's no question about that at the NFL Combine. he's Everybody's going to want to hang on every single thing he says. The other quarterbacks in this draft I think people want to listen to, but they're not going to be that guy. Kyler Murray is going to be that guy. People are going to want to listen to Dwayne Haskins, maybe even Drew Locke, Daniel Jones from Duke, but people are going there to listen to Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray is going to be, I think, one of the more fascinating stories of the combine is he going to throw? Is he not going to throw? What's he going to do? How many tests is he going to do? That obviously is going to be a big storyline. The Texans that doesn't really matter to them. What matters to them, I think, the offensive tackles in particular. Those guys will test on Friday, the on-field test. Now they the the combine works. They're going to all the the tackles, the running backs, and the specialists. I believe all tests, they test the same day. So they're all flying it together, basically. So they're flying with us. They'll fly on a Tuesday. Then Wednesday, they do the Wonder Lake and have interviews. Thursday, they do all their medical testing and do the media. And then Friday, they do their on-field testing. And so, obviously, the on-field testing. We get get a chance to see some of the on-field testing before we leave. That's when you get a really good idea of the athletes in this draft and looking for the athleticism that you want to see, especially at a position like tackle. And I remember last year watching Zeus. I watched that that uh, combine performance. I just remember thinking, wow, he's just not a great athlete. And that's the hard one. That's the one, if you're a personnel guy, you stand up on a table and go, but I don't care that he's not an athlete. This guy can play. He can play. There are very there are very few guys you bang the table for. And I, and I would imagine in Baltimore they probably did and said, look, we know his dad. We knew his dad. Ozzie Newsom uh, was a GM there in Baltimore when his dad was there with Baltimore. So they at least had – there was a lot more uh, knowledge they had about Zeus Brown than any other team was going to have. And so I think that helped them in that situation. But I love watching the big dudes run and be athletic, basically. And some of the fun guys over the years – I remember Brandon Sheriff was there. He's now a pro bowler with the Washington Redskins at guard. And you see these guys and the athleticism they have and how they're built. And I'll be watching the tackles very, very closely and looking at the athleticism and which guys are put together. And then I'll be listening to them. Because DP said in our first segment, I think this is hugely important, one of the, the main aspects, and it's not just the Texans. I think that's the one thing we all kind of get locked in. It's not just the Texans. I think about the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, The Philadelphia Eagles, when they won the championship in 2017, one of the major reasons was how that locker room all came together. It was a bonded locker room. It wasn't perfect, but they kind of exhibited the same sort of spirit that the Texans had, I thought, last year. And I thought the nine-game winning streak, one of the biggest reasons for that was that locker room. And look, no locker room is ever perfect. Not everybody in there is a choir boy. Not everybody in there is uh, a wallflower. Not everybody in there is just going to love football and everything about what goes on, but the guys you put in there have got to be a good mix together. And I thought last year was a very good mix. And so you kind of get an idea when you listen to the guys talk, when you hear what they talk about, you hear how they respond, the respect they have for interviews, just the respect they have for the process and what they have to do. You start to get a pretty good idea for, yeah, I think that guy can end up being a Texan. Then there are guys that you listen to, just listening to them, you go, that's not happening. When D.P. brought up a great point, Leonard Fournette, a couple years ago, you just knew. That's not it. You listen to Sean. You listen to a guy like Justin Reed. You go, okay, that could be our kind of guy. And that's what the teams are looking for. They're looking for our kind of guys. I think one of the other major storylines is going to end up being the players that we've been talking about, that a lot of people have been talking about. Odell Beckham Jr., Le'Veon Bell, and Antonio Brown. Does anything happen at the combine, before the combine? But those three players on And obviously, two of them being receivers, and Le'Veon being a running back. But the two receivers in particular have made a lot of noise. Now they've had a lot of production for the teams, but they've also made a lot of noise. And teams are really—it'll be curious. I'll be curious to see how the teams respond to that. Do we want to bring in a guy that can upset our locker room? And I'm not just talking about the Texans. I'm talking about you know 31 other teams as well. Do I want to upset this locker room? is a 31-year-old wide receiver who has been at the top of his game for so long, but now is 31, now entering a different locker room. Is that what we want for the long term, short term and long term? Do we want that? And then the Steelers obviously have been committed to trading, but where is the best deal going to come from? What kind of deal are they going to be able to get? Does that start to kind of ferret itself out at the combine? We're going to hear from all the GMs. We're going to hear from all the coaches, probably minus one, and you know who that is. And they've got a lot more on their plate, as what you guys heard come down today in New England. So they've got bigger bigger fish to fry, if you will. But you'll hear from everybody else, and you'll hear what they have to say with those three particular players. And obviously for the Texans, you know, O'Brien Ganey and Bill O'Brien, I would imagine within the first couple of questions, they'll be asking about you, De'Vion Clowney, Tyron Matthew, Kareem Jackson, a lot of team free agents, and then draft needs that will all go on as well. All right. Coming up next, the voice of the Texans has a bone to pick. Not with me, but with others. Do that next right here in Texas All Access. One final segment of Texas All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris, and I am joined now by the voice of the Texans, Mark Vandermeer. Mark, where were you when you found out the news about Patriots owner Robert Kraft?
2: I was right in front of you looking at I my phone. And you had no idea. I had no idea because I was in a meeting. Yeah. I was in a meeting with the boss. Yeah. And then I come down here, and you say, have you looked at your phone? I'm like, well, yeah, just to get a message. He's like, no, no, no. Have you looked at your phone, Yeah, everyone? So I look at my phone, and I did get a Twitter notification. It said New England Patriots. I'm like, oh, it has something to do with the Patriots. So I click on it, and I'm like, oh,
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. I, it, I mean, just it, oh there's certain gosh. things that you see and hear over time, and you're like, I would have never, would have, never have guessed that. Right. But I guess maybe I've gotten old enough now that I'm just like – there's nothing on the face of this earth ever shocks me anymore. Nothing should
2: ever surprise ever. you. Never, never. I think – you know what I think this all happened, kids, is the 90s. I think with Clinton and Monica Lewinsky yeah. – that, and I know that was a different kind of thing than this – But it taught me to never be surprised about stuff like this. And then as far as, you know, this is a different category. But then when we got into the O's and all the performance-enhancing drugs stories started to come out about baseball, remember, it was unthinkable. You know, when you had the Canseco take yeah. that, I don't know, he gave some kind of percentage. And then you had Ken Cavanetti, well, the late Ken Cavanetti right. saying, he, I think there was an article in Sports Illustrated yep. saying 50 to 90% of the players in baseball use performance enhancers. And it was, what? Yeah. That many? And I, I remember thinking at the time, well, now everybody could be accused. And then Lance Armstrong. So, to me, Robert Kraft accused of this solicitation and – I guess a massage parlor or whatever in Palm Beach County, Florida. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm not saying it's no big deal, but it shouldn't be a surprise that somebody, anybody, really yeah. gets caught doing something in this world. I guess
0: you know what changed for me. Hmm? OJ,
2: yeah, because OJ. One.
0: I mean, I I knew even in the in the '90s that OJ wasn't always a saint. Yeah, but this this OJ was beloved. He right. was
2: beloved. He was. He was the Hertz rental car. He was I Naked mean, Gun.
0: He was beloved. I mean, yeah. he did. Uh, he did uh, uh, NBC sidelines. I remember he yep. did in January '94. He did Florida State in Nebraska in the Orange Bowl. He was doing sidelines for that game, which was a, a tremendous game. It is when Bobby Bob got his first national championship, and I remember him doing the sidelines for that game. And he was, was just,
2: in the booth for Monday Night Football, wasn't he? For at some a moment, point, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, and, and just OJ.
2: Yeah. Really? Yeah yeah you're right i mean that's it's, the ultimate right there obviously
0: it, how do you i mean it, it just nothing. we're not
2: comparing craft to oj people we're just no, saying just the
0: shock prominent value
2: sports figures involved in stories that are less than flattering let's just put it that way no doubt you were on uh this morning with yeah. the guys over at 610 how'd that go uh that went uh you know what it went weird because they're asking me about clowny and mm-hmm. the, you know what do you th- what do you think and what should they do, and. Look, we all want Clowney on the football team, you know, but it's not just like plug and play and you you just press a button and it's done. You know, you don't just break the bank for anybody. Uh, He's a tremendous player. You know, they'd probably want him back. They just want to do it the right way for them and the right way for him. And I don't know if they come to an agreement. These are two parties that might have different ideas about how compensation should work. And then you have the franchise tag availability, but the tag doesn't automatically mean he shows up opening day either, as we've seen with Le'Veon Bell and others. So I I just think, you know, it's it's just kind of tough to talk about because I love Clowney, and I I know you do too. I mean, he is such a larger-than-life, literally and figuratively, Mm -hmm. person, and, you know, I know it didn't start out that great, but... He's such a wonderful player. I you know, he's got a smile bigger than the Mississippi River. I mean, he walks around the hallway and he always makes me smile when I see yeah. him. He's one of those guys. So, I hope they find a way to keep him on the football team.
0: I I don't know why. Well, I don't know why it was yesterday, but yesterday, and I've already seen this game twice. I don't know why I decided to watch it, but I I went back and I was watching the the coach's film of the uh, Eagles game. And started at the beginning and just was going through play by play and I, I don't know if I was really looking for anything in particular but one of the things that did stand out that I wanted to watch was I wanted to see how Martinez played at guard how did how did he play mm-hmm. that day at guard and I, and I really I didn't even get all the way through the game but i did see and there were some there were some mistakes he he had a false start at one point but there were times he held up to fletcher Cox, just one-on-one just held up held yeah. his own and uh, playing guard which is not a, a, a position he was familiar with but I watched that, and I was watch. At that point, I decided I'm going to watch everything. You could not take your eyes off of him that day, really, Clowny. You could not take your eyes. It off was one of Clowney those Clowny day. days, huh? It was, and I'll, ne- I'll never forget it because going off the going off the field, and I the the Texans were on the far side of the field, and so they all had to kind of congregate and then move down the, our sideline to get into the tunnel for our locker room, and so I was standing right there. And I remember seeing him kind of go by, and he kind of grabbed Anthony Weaver, kind of going off the field. He kind of grabbed him by his shoulder, and he was like, yeah, it's going to be a good day. And I remember yeah. him saying something along those lines, and I, I kind of stored that away and went, all right, let's see. Mark, he was unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, he was absolutely unbelievable in that game, the things that he was doing.
2: Kind of like the way he was against Jacksonville on the road earlier in the season. Like he was against
0: Indianapolis up in yeah. Indianapolis. I mean, he – huge. It was just – it. it I can't even I can't even put it into words. We've seen him do that throughout his career, the three years obviously you know, the two first two years when he was hurt, I think there were a lot of questions of oh but I, I said you know, the, the guys on triple threat asked me this the other day. They asked me about clowning. I said, Look, the guy came back from microfracture surgery. Yep. He came back from microfracture surgery and on time. He, yeah, the fact that he even got back in twenty fifteen. Yeah. And then he had some nagging stuff in twenty fifteen. And then he's he stood in the locker room after on cleanout day after the loss to the Chiefs in the playoff game. So I'm gonna dominate the league, and he has. He's just been dominating guys. And to see against Philadelphia, Mark, I can't tell you the number of times that he inside move, power move, shucked the guy here, used his hands, drew a holding a big holding call uh, on the I think it was on the it was on the drive. It was on the 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 drive right before the half where Zach Cunningham made the attack on Zach Ertz right at the sideline. Yep. They had completed a pass down the field, and I was like, oh, they're going to kick a field goal. Clowney drew a holding penalty. And then this morning it hit me again because we posted uh, on our social media channels, we posted our top five Texans defensive plays of the year. Yeah. Number five, Demian Clowney, Snow Angel sack. Number four is Zach Cuttingham, his pick six against the Cleveland Browns. But as I'm watching that play, I'm realizing – Clowney forced it because he goes inside Greg Robinson. Robinson has to hold him. Yeah, they threw a holding penalty on it, but Baker got rid of the ball because he could feel Clowney. And Zach makes the play and goes for touch. And like the first, you know, two to the five. That's one of those pressure is better than sacks moments. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then the other ones were were you know pick sixes, Jay Joe's, and and uh, Justin Rees. of course, you had to put um, Kareem Jackson's hit. But it's it really is kind of hard to talk about because you go, man. There's a mechanism to keep him here with the franchise tag. But I I want him to come back so badly because – and I texted a friend of mine and I just said, go watch the Philadelphia game if you ever have any questions about Clowney. Yeah. Just go watch it because he is so completely dominating in that game and all the different places he's coming from. But he just locked up over on the right side against Halepalote Vitae and just – he just went nuts. I'm just impressed you could say the name – he
2: I did. It all night. He did have the penalty on the third and ten. I know. Now I know. the ball was. And cold. he had an
0: offside earlier. The ball. You know.
2: Yeah, I know offside. He does get those from time to time. Sometimes at inopportune moments, like against the Colts here late in the game. Yeah. Look, you're will willing to live with all of that. Yeah. And I think defensively against the Eagles, you know, falls through for 450 yards or whatever it was. And that's not the fault of the pressure or lack thereof. I mean, they were getting the ball out fast. They yep. knew that there was heat in the form of Watt, Clowney, and friends getting into the backfield. So they had a good game plan going, and the Texans didn't deal with it very well defensively. Yep. Had they made that final stop, as we said many times, the universe would have changed. but Significantly. But I just, yeah, you're right. I mean, you're so good up front with him. They just need to get better on the back end, get healthier. We talked about that Philly game. I don't want to lay all that on, you know. The defense, look, they had yeah. three corners exit the game because of injuries. That's a lot.
0: That was one heck of an afternoon. As I was watching that game, I was thinking back to that day. It's like forty degrees. The sun was out. It was It was perfect. They were just teams going back and forth just Lobbing haymakers at one another. You know I mean, what it that was game was? was a really fun afternoon. That game was Outside of the loss, like obviously. the loss
2: to the Patriots and the Seahawks, the losses, in yep. 2017. Although this one was more devastating because of what was on the line. Exactly. And exactly. less devastating because Watson stays healthy and you know you're going to go to the playoffs eventually anyway. But it was tough because of what was on the line and the way you lost it. But it was one of those. It felt like that where you couldn't make the big stop at the end. Seattle, New England, Philly
0: got to finish Cal mentioned that uh to you the Houston Sports Awards I thought that was interesting about finishing and I, yep. I would imagine that's something that Bill O'Brien Brian Kane talking about look, they did it 11 off-season. times
2: they did it yeah. 11 times they were able to finish but uh they know that it, everything heightens when you get into December and January the stakes are higher and you know we, look bringing the A game to the postseason is something we could talk about for six months so let's just get to that later yeah but You'll have a better postseason situation if you're able to close out a game like the Philadelphia Eagles. The other thing we talked about was uh, I mentioned position groups. Like I've talked about it with you, position groups that are attributed as posi- position groups of need yeah. by national pundits. This when they're is where not really... I wanted to go because I knew okay. you, had a, you had a bone to pick with some national pundits. Well, the tight end position to me is not a position of need. I, I'm not saying you can't get better at any position really, but come on. I mean, you have a long list of of areas where you need improvement before you get to tight end. I mean, we all want to see what happens in year two with Jordan Aikens and Jordan Thomas. They should get better. They seem like really good pros. You know, Aikens played professional baseball. You know, Th- I've seen Thomas around here already. You know, he's committed to getting better. Yeah. So let's just go. Let's see what you can get out of these guys. And I think Ryan Griffin is solid at the very least.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you've got – I think the one thing about those three guys that you didn't have the year before – was the all stayed healthy? Yeah. All three. I mean, all three of them. If I remember correctly, we played all sixteen games. Wow. That now I'm trying to think. I think that's the case, but I, I mean, I could be wrong and all that. But you know, again, going back to that Philadelphia healthy, healthy games, enough. Jordan Akins made some plays in that game. I mean, obviously he makes the big catch on third and eleven, but he made some plays in that game. I'm I'm really curious to see how he progresses. Didn't
2: he have the two touchdown catches in the preseason opener against yeah. the Chiefs and we thought, Whoa. Now you can get carried away with preseason performances, yeah. but that was certainly an eye opener and it served notice that he's gonna be one to watch.
0: But in the end though, would you say and I know he didn't have he didn't have a ton of receptions, but in the end you drafted Jordan Akins and you ended up drafting Jordan Thomas. To me they're a net positive. Yeah. They're a net positive. Yeah, I mean look, Jordan Thomas was learning how to play an in-line wide tight end position. Mm. First time, really, in his life he's doing that. So he's having to do that. And there were times, as you would expect, there were times it looked pretty good in the run blocking. There were times where you went, oh, okay, that's got that's got to improve. But those two guys, those two rookies, I thought a net positive for sure. Right. I mean, the, the path, I thought.
2: The blocking aspect of the game is going to be huge for Thomas. If he can yep. get that together – and the assignments and just be who they want them or who they want him to be in the run-block game, that is going to be huge for him because yep. then all of a sudden, you know, you're in certain sets where it's like the defense thinks, oh, yeah, run's coming, and then you leak Thomas out and he makes a big play for you.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's, to me, that's that's really where you want to go. Receiving-wise, uh, let's see. I have my numbers right here. Uh, yeah, Ryan Griffin had 24 catches. On the uh, season. On the season. Jordan had 20. Uh, Jordan Thomas had 20. And Jordan Akins had 17. They combined for four touchdowns. Those were all Jordan Thomas's. If mm-hmm. I've done my math correct. So 24, 20, and 17. You'd like to think. Now, and and I thought about this too,
2: Mark. I, I got to get that number, Johnny. That group number to 80, Yeah,
0: 85. I think you're right. I think you're right. Now, this is something I thought about the other day. Texans gave up 62 sacks, right? Yeah. Let's say that they just cut that number in half. Right. Just cut the number in half. Yeah. You've got 31 more opportunities. Mm-hmm. And if Deshaun's at, say, 65 to 67%, somewhere in that range, yeah. you're talking about 20-plus more receptions. Now, but, they're maybe not all going to tight ends, mm-hmm. but maybe that's an opp- maybe that's an opportunity for the tight ends to pick up a little bit more. I don't think we're ever going to see a year again where we're going to have two tight ends as long as DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller and Kiki QT are all relatively healthy. I don't think we'll ever see the two tight ends combined for 111 catches or whatever they have. The Osweiler year. The Osweiler year with with, uh, CJ and with Ryan. I don't think we're ever going to see that again because you're going to have those three guys. So I do agree with you. I think you're going to get to 80. But I thought about that the other day. If you cut the sacks in half, that's 31 more targets. That's probably 20 to 25 completions somewhere in that realm, maybe about 20 completions. Yeah. Spread those out amongst, and you're probably – tight ends are probably going to get eight to ten of those. Right. So I think that's probably where that's going to come from. So I'm with you. I think a lot of people just look at it and see, oh, the tight ends aren't catching the ball, or their numbers are down, and Bill O'Brien likes tight ends, and that's the math they're doing. They're not looking at it as they just devoted draft resources to that position twice last year, and they still got Ryan Griffin.
2: Well, with C.J. retiring, they had to start over – the organization had to start over at tight end, and that's kind of painful because in 2014 you were starting over coming off a 2-14 season, and you drafted Fedorowicz, and you had Griffin on the team, and you felt like pre- you felt pretty good about where they could go in that position group, and they did go good places in 2016. So, yeah, they, they have to continue to get better, obviously improve. I love what you just did with the math. If you reduce the sacks, you have more attempts, you're going to get some completions out of those attempts. I do like that methodology.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's one or, that's – one or two more receptions, a game. Yeah, I mean, think about that. If you're one or two more receptions, how many how many touchdowns does Sean have? If twenty of those completions, is 25. he going to get to the magic number of twenty nine? Mm-hmm. That uh, number sticks with you.
2: Yes, it does. It, it, does stick with you. It, it does. I think next year that's another one. We haven't done those shows yet. You know, are yeah. they going to get to this number? That number? They got to do it. I thought they were a lock. I said if Watson is healthy, sixteen games. They are a lock to eclipse 30 touchdown passes, and they didn't do it. Well, he's,
0: just... he counted for more touchdowns, though, than any Texans quarterback ever. Because he ran. Because he ran, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm okay with that. But I'm would... okay,
2: too, as long as it's a kind of running where you don't get hit along the way well, too badly.
0: That was the nice thing Go back to the Philly game. Those two touchdowns he had, he didn't get touched. Right. He didn't get touched on either one, so I'm all for that. Now, obviously, a little
2: later, he got so touched. exciting, Johnny. It's like doing the play-by-play, you know, Watson back to pass— it's exciting. Even remember, incompletions can be exciting.
0: Remember the Jets game, right? That first drive, they drive a little bit, it gets a third down, and I can't remember who the official was that night he blew this he blew Deshaun down. Mm-hmm. He said he was he blew the whistle and said he was stopped. His forward progress was stopped. And I just remember thinking, You don't know our guy. Yeah. You don't know him. We right. can get out of that. Who
2: are you? Scott Foster? Oh, just <laughs> kidding. Bad name to bring up today,
0: well, yeah,
2: maybe, maybe <laughs> after what so. happened on the West Coast last night, but I, I i believe that you know when you look at receivers, pass catchers, really, and you brought this up earlier, you know they're not getting the ball up look you 've got to get the ball in order to get your numbers. Yep. Up Like DeAndre Hopkins in 2016 with Osweiler wasn't getting the ball enough, period. Right. You know, his production was down. His production's not down. The connection between quarterback and receiver is down. Right. That's what you have to ratchet up in order to get those numbers up for DeAndre Hopkins. And you did the following year and obviously this past year.
0: So for the peeps out there, you're saying if, you see, if you're seeing people mock tight ends to the Texans. Forget about it. Your mind. Watch them draft a tight end now. <laughs> Watch it. I mean, it, it could happen. I mean, but, you know, when it comes, as we found out earlier today, with what happened to Jupiter, Florida, the draft, you never say never. To anything. To anything. Anything in this world. Anything in this world. Mark, appreciate it. Thanks, Johnny. And there it is. The show's in the books. Thanks to Mark. Thanks to DP. Thanks to you guys for listening to my guys back at the studios at Sports Radio 610. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. And we'll see you on Monday. And as always, go Texans.